0: Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9 this morning as we continue to walk through uh, this gospel, this good news story that explains to us from Mark's perspective, Mark, one of the close friends and associates of the apostles, um, one of the disciples of Jesus, not appointed an apostle, but, but was there in many of the places that Jesus was and heard his teaching in Mark chapter 9. Um, gives us this great story that we've been looking at for the past two weeks of the transfiguration of Jesus taking a couple of his disciples up on a mountain to watch and experience an amazing event. And we're going to read that again this morning um, from Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, that's three of his 12 apostles, with him, He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around, around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, generation," Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often throws him into into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind come, o- come out only by prayer. Then they left the place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know uh, where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, "The Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise." But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. Now this is our third uh, our third Sunday morning, uh, looking at this passage. And we've looked at various aspects of it and how, and how important it is um, in, the, in the ministry of the apostles. Uh, to hear Peter in his letters and John in his, in his gospel and letters talk about this event, this moment when they saw Jesus transfigured. It was an amazing thing for their faith, an amazing um, um, opportunity and event for them uh, that, that helped them uh, throughout their ministry. It was an amazing event in the life of Jesus. Uh, to have this time with Moses and Elijah um, before he was about ready to go into Jerusalem to face his accusers, to, to, to face those who were going to uh, persecute him, who eventually were going to kill him. Um, it, was, it was an amazing story. I mean, to see Moses and Elijah back on this, you know, in this world uh, to, to talk to him, this is an incredible, incredible story. And then also, the event that took place when he, when he comes back down the mountain and has that interaction with, with the people, with that dad, who so desperately wants him to, to cast that demon out of his son, and then Jesus doing that uh, for him. It, it's an amazing story to, to see his interaction with his, his apostles, who still don't understand everything that's going on. And we can identify with that. There's so much we don't understand what's going on. But we look to God's word and we grow and we find out more and more as we do. But this morning, with, with all of those things happening in the story, I want us to, to look at two other things uh, that, that took place in this particular story. Two examples of Jesus' prophetic ministry. We don't think of Jesus' prophetic ministry that often because we think of what he did. But also within his teaching, he prophesied great things that were going to happen. And one of those revolves around the ministry of Elijah. As we saw a couple of weeks ago in the scripture reading, Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi mentions that Elijah is going to come back before the Messiah comes. Here, Elijah does come back in person on this, on this mountain to meet with Jesus and Moses. And, and the disciples are trying to put everything together together and think, okay, maybe, maybe that's what Malachi was talking about. Now we've seen Elijah. He's back. So now maybe, you know, maybe the kingdom uh, is going to come right now. Maybe Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, and, and the time is now uh, for the, the millennial kingdom to start, that thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth. They were ready for that. And Jesus, first of all, and this is very important to, re- to remember, Jesus acknowledges what they're talking about is in the scripture. He's, he's verifying himself as the son of God that not only the stories in the, in the Old Testament about Elijah are true, but also the prophecies about him, like the one in Malachi, are also true. Jesus is affirming the truth of the Old Testament in this particular passage as he, as he talks about Elijah. Now, Elijah and Moses showing up in person a long time, over a thousand years after their death, that also verifies that what the Old Testament talks about is true. Moses really did exist. Elijah really did exist. They really did have these ministries, these prophetic ministries that the Old Testament talks about. But here, Jesus identifies Elijah, the, the Elijah that is going to show up again, not as the Elijah that lived in the Old Testament and that came back to the mountain of transfiguration, but here he's identifying John the Baptist as the return of Elijah. Like, like I explained with the, uh, to the children this morning and why we had that passage of Scripture read from Psalm 22 this morning, like David was a... a a forerunner, a figure, a type of Jesus. When you read the story of David and you read the story of Jesus, you see a lot of similarities. Well, when you read the story of Elijah and you read the story of John the Baptist, you see a lot of similarities. Do you remember, um, and we, we just went through this not too long ago, do you remember the story about how John the Baptist died? He had been arrested by Herod Because Herod and and his wife were mad at John the Baptist because he told them that they shouldn't be married. Here they were trying to to be the leaders of Israel and and saying that they they respected the law, and they were breaking the law by being married because Herod's wife actually was the wife of his brother-in-law. So it was, a, it was a real messed up thing. And they didn't appreciate John the Baptist pointing these things out, especially in public, and so they arrested him. Now, everybody in Jesus', in Jesus day, and especially his apostles, they knew what was going on there. But if you look back in 1 Kings 19, I'll give you a chance to, to find that. 1 Kings 19, look at, the, look at the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19. This isn't the most famous of Elijah's stories. It follows it. The most famous of Elijah's stories is how he had a showdown on Mount Carmel with, with the prophets of Baal. Baal was, the, was more popular in Israel at this particular time than the Almighty God. There were more prophets for Baal in Israel at that time, in the northern tribes, than there were prophets of God. And Elijah, as a prophet of God, had a showdown, so to speak, with the prophets of Baal. And you can read that in in, uh, in chapter 18. We're not going to read it today. Some of you will remember it, though. So after that took place, chapter 19 says in verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, this is the king and queen. Remember King Herod and his queen. Okay, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. That's a spoiler alert if you don't know chapter 18. Now you know what happened. Okay. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. All right, this is the queen threatening the life of Elijah. Sounds very familiar. And remember this. When when the people of of the New Testament, especially the Jewish people, when they see something like what happened with John the Baptist and all this, and and then when when Jesus says, Elijah has already come, and they did to him everything that the Old Testament said they were going to do to him. The bells start ringing and say, that's exactly what happened to Elijah. Same same kind of things. And, And so we see how these two things are used together. One to prepare us for the other. And how connected the Old Testament is to the New Testament. He continues. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, that's a long way from where he was. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. And he drank and then he lay down again. We'll, we'll stop there. there. There's no great place to stop. But here We see Jesus speaking of John the Baptist in reference to the Elijah that was going to come before him. And he's he's saying, this part of prophecy has already happened. It's already taken place. And here he's encouraging us, as we read this, to take advantage of, of this opportunity that we have on a regular basis... Not just coming to church on Sundays, but on a regular basis because we own these copies of the Word of God. Not just these hard copies, but also our phones and our tablets and our computers and all the other ways that we read the Bible. We have so much access to the Word of God. Jesus is encouraging us by talking to his disciples about this Old Testament figure, about this prophecy concerning him and how he connects with John the Baptist. He's encouraging us To be students of the Bible. To be reading this word so that as we read it, we'll understand God's great plan. And give us confidence as we continue to move through it. Because we're in it. This isn't just the story of Jesus. And this isn't just the story of Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. This isn't just the story of John the Baptist. This is also our story. This impacts our lives. Certainly it impacted theirs. And how many of you identified, just just for a moment, as we read about about Elijah just a moment ago, when he got to that place, he said, okay, God, take me. I I have had enough. I can't take any more. Just go ahead and take me. Lots of us have had that prayer. Lots of us have said that. The Apostle Paul had that prayer. He was telling the, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I, he said, I want to tell you what happened to me in the province of Asia and the, and the persecution that, that, I, that I went through. He said, I was overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. You ever fe- felt that way? That's what Elijah was facing. That's what the Apostle Paul is facing. He says, he said, I was so overwhelmed that I despaired even of life. Just like Elijah did. See, This book is filled with real people just like us. Facing real difficulties, real hardships, real obstacles to our faith and to our lives and to our dreams and to our goals. Facing all those things. This book is filled with these people. And when we read their stories and how God interacted with them, as he did with Elijah, as he did with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when he he tells that story... He also then encourages us and reminds us that we also can carry on. We also can keep going until he decides it's time for us to go. Remember, he's the Lord. That's not his nickname. That's his title. He is the master. He's in charge. And our days are in his hands. And it's, and it's not wrong for us to ask him to go ahead and, and take us, unless we do it without this phrase, but your will be done, your timing be done, because he is the Lord of life, he's the one who decides how long each of us has, and when he's finished with us, both in the work that he wants us to do and the work that he wants to do in us, then he'll take us. For Elijah, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, it wasn't time for him to go yet, and in Elijah's case, it was never time for him to go, He's one of the only people in Scripture that never died. He's the one that swing low sweet chariot was about. Because the chariot swang low and took Elijah. He has a, he has a great story. Don't expect that. Now, it can't happen. It did happen. Don't, don't expect that. But whatever the, whatever the circumstances, we're going to find those circumstances. In this word. And I want you to hear loud and clear from the Lord Jesus this morning that his word, all of it, is important. And it's worth the time that we put into it as individuals and as groups. As we, as we gather together for Bible study, as we gather together like this on Sunday mornings to look at, it is worth the time and effort. And remember, there are going to be plenty of times when we are going to be like the apostles. And two times in this story, they're scratching their heads and saying, what is he talking about? I don't get this. We identify with that and we keep digging like they did. Sometimes we'll open our mouth and put our foot in it just like they did. Like Peter, you know, up on the mountain. Hey, I got an idea. We'll put up some shelters here. We're gonna, this is going to be awesome. We're going to, you know, and they say, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm just talking. I'm just trying to think of something. We do that. We can relate to that. Think about Moses being on that mountain with him. And think about the prophecy that we looked at from Deuteronomy. Look there again in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at this this great statement. This great prediction of the coming of the Lord Jesus all the way back during the wanderings of the children of Israel. And remember, Deuteronomy is named that because it's, the, it's the, the second giving of the law of Moses, okay? You get the first giving of it in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and then because they, they wandered out in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience, and they're ready to go into the land, Moses gives them the law again. He wants to make sure they haven't forgotten it. He wants to make sure that their parents taught them well, because remember, all the parents are dead now. The new generation is going to go in and take the land. And so Moses gives them the law again, Deuteronomy, the second law. Ch- um, chapter 18, verse 18, says this. It's getting smaller. The more, the, more my, the more I cry, the more I can't see. All right, verse 18. I will raise up for them... This is the Lord speaking to Moses. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. What did did the Father say on the mountain of transfiguration? After Moses and Elijah left, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. Just like the prophet who is going to come that Moses announced, like Moses, and here's Moses, part of this Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Um, fellowship, which is just amazing. And the Father confirms this is the one. This is him. Listen to him. The old prepares us for the new. when When they had time when the, when the when the apostles had time to stop and think about all this stuff, then it started making sense to them, especially after Jesus rose again and sent his holy spirit to live in them so they could begin to understand all these things this elijah moses jesus transfiguration on the mountain this is an important uh, an important day in history This is an important day for Jesus. It was an important day for the apostles. It's an important day for us because it it helps us see how the old and the new come together. They're both critically important to us. Now, that that Old Testament is a lot of material. The the law giving is a lot of material. The prophets are a lot of material. The historical stuff is a lot of material. And some of the stories are crazy. Some of, the, some of the stories are, are gross even. But all of them remind us of God's plan. All of them remind us of God's redemption. Because our stories are just like them. And as God was in charge of Israel in those days, and before Israel, the people of the world in those days, he's also in charge of our world today. And so, as we look to his word, Old and New Testaments, as he's encouraging us to in this particular passage, we will find encouragement and instruction and direction in our lives if we'll listen to him. Remember, this is how we listen to him. We have the opportunity to read his words. And finally, what is Jesus saying over and over again in this passage? He's going to die and then he's going to rise again. Where does that come from? Well, various places. We saw it in Psalm 22, didn't we? We saw the death of our Lord Jesus Christ described beautifully and amazingly with the words of David and the experience of David. But look with me to Isaiah chapter 52 just for a moment. Isaiah chapter 52. The 13th verse. Look what he says. Remember, this is written hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He was going to die and he was going to rise again. Hundreds of years. Now, listen to what what the prophet Isaiah said. See, my servant... Will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like from, like from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. We, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, and nor, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer... And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Amazing. Amazing. And the disciples would scratch their heads and say, what's what's Jesus talking about when he says he's got to die? And then after he did die, and after he rose again, and after he sent his Holy Spirit into their lives, it was like, oh, that's what he was talking about. It's right there in black and white. And we have the same opportunity to see how everything that Jesus experienced and went through was described in detail in the Old Testament, in the story of Israel, in the story of the, four, of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the story of the, of the tribes of, of Israel, the brothers, in the story of the, of the judges trying to, trying to rule over and, and to lead this, this, this rebellious and ob, obstinate people. In the story of of all the prophets and the kings and all their rebellion and and, and all of their repentance and all of the restoration, all of the things that took place were all pointing to what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was going to do. This one that Mark said, the reason I'm writing this, this gospel, is so that you can know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here this morning we find out Jesus' great respect appreciation for, and the importance that he placed on all of those Old Testament stories, because those are his story. He put all that together for the purpose of introducing himself so that when he arrived, people would be ready for him. Well, as his apostle John said in, in, first, in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he said he came into his own but his own did not receive him. They should have. They were given all these details that we've been reading this morning and more. But he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But then verse 12 says this, but to those who received him, because some did, to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Did you hear about those children in Isaiah? Yeah, we did, didn't we? Because after his death, he was going to rise again and have offspring, and here we are. We're in this story. Old and New Testament, we're in this story. And we have the opportunity on a daily basis to dig in, to find out. And some people say, say, I've tried that, and I just couldn't make sense of it. Don't let that stop you. What if the apostles had given up when they didn't make sense of something? We wouldn't have any of these New Testament stories. We wouldn't have any of the epistles. But they didn't stop. They didn't give up. They continued on as we're also instructed to. And as we're encouraged by the Lord Jesus himself, as he took time with his disciples to talk about these Old Testament events and how they're related to what he was was doing for them and for all of us who believe. So take time. Dig in. Read the stories. If you've never read anything before, start in the New Testament. But what you're going to find is you read in the New Testament, there is quote after quote after quote and story after story after story that relates to what happened in the Old Testament. And as you read the New Testament, you're going to get some interest in the Old Testament just so you can see how it all fits together. And then go there. But whatever the case, spend some time in the Word of God. This is a great gift to us. And it's a gift worth reading. It's a gift worth talking about. It's a gift worth figuring out. And it's also a gift worth sharing. Because we have the opportunity to let others know how amazing God is as He reveals Himself in His Word. There are people that would be interested to know that that Isaiah wrote that passage hundreds of years before Jesus did it. That's an interesting situation to, to, to hear that and to read that. And that also helps us understand how amazing Jesus is. That he put all this together so that we could understand, so that we could receive him. And by receiving him, by believing in his name, that he is the one that was promised, that he is the one that did all these things, that we can become the children of God. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word, which tells us how great you are, how planned out everything is, and how you've included people in your plans. Well, we know the main person that we need to know about in your plans is Jesus. And we thank you that we see him from first page to last. And we thank you for the way that you worked out your plans in the Old Testament and then through your people through your prophets, through your kings. Then, Father, we thank you for the, the way you brought it all together through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for revealing him long before he came so that when he did come, some would recognize who he is and put their trust in him. And we thank you that through the faithfulness of his apostles to his call in their lives to his command for them to carry on and to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded us. Father, we thank you for those promises and that they fulfilled those promises by your power and that we're here today looking at those same words, looking at those same stories, those same people, the same Jesus, and that we can know him now. Father, for those of us who have already received him, we thank you for this knowledge. We thank you for this relationship. And we pray that you'd help us to grow in our knowledge so that we can grow in our service to you. That you'd be honored in everything that we do. Not just some of the things. Not just the Sunday things but that you'd be honored in all the things. And Father, we thank you for the way you're working in those who are with us this morning who haven't yet received Jesus, who haven't yet believed in his name. We thank you for the work you're doing in their lives and how you're drawing them to faith. Give them the courage and the faith today to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm gonna trust you to forgive me of my sins. I'm gonna trust you to give me this gift of eternal life. I'm gonna trust you to send the Holy Spirit to live in me so that I can live for you. Give them the the faith and the courage to do that even this morning. But Father, we thank you for the unity of your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us, and we pray that you'd help us to learn all that we can so that we can be all that we can be for your glory. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.